All right. Welcome. Thank you. Good morning. How is everyone? Great. My name is Josh Wines. Um, thankful for the opportunity, the privilege to be in front of you all today, be to be sharing God's word. Um, just want to thank Pastor John and the elders for giving me this opportunity. It's been a great week as I prepare to stand in front of you all here today. As long as I don't throw up, and I think we should be fine. Okay. If I do, my wife's right in the front row. Just get her. All right. So, I think it's funny how um, when God calls us to serve in a specific way or to speak on a uh, certain topic that um, a lot of times it's a, it's a topic or, or serving in a specific way that, you know, I don't feel so comfortable in in a way that, or on a topic that I feel like I need a lot of work in as well. And I think that that's the way that um, God works a lot of times, that um, before you serve somebody, God is actually serving you. He's, he's looking to improve you in the way that you serve and other people. And that, that's the, that is definitely the, um, what's happening here with this message. Um, as I was going through Ephesians 4, um, reading it, studying it, researching on it, I, I started to get the sense that God was speaking to me. And uh, before that, I even took this message to to share with all of you today. And um, I thank him for that. So it's been a really good week, and um, I'm thankful for it. Um, so a lot of you, uh, some of you, had the uh, opportunity to meet my father-in-law when he came to visit uh, last year. My father and my mother-in-law, uh, they came right before COVID hit. So they were here visiting um, from Portugal. And um, before they before they had, uh, you know, uh, before they had stayed the entire time with us, COVID hit. So they had to leave early and go back to Portugal. So they, they weren't able to spend all that time with us that they wanted to. And uh, shortly after arriving back in Portugal, my father-in-law had an accident with a table saw and um, popped his uh, index finger off down to his knuckle. So some of you uh, might have heard that story. And um, at the risk of making light of my father-in-law's injury, who might be watching, um, I'm sorry. It's just uh, the illustration was too perfect for the message. So um, <clears throat> a lot of times we don't realize how important even our smallest uh, parts are until we lose function of them, right? So my father-in-law, after he lost his index finger, he used to be able to play guitar. He can't do that anymore. Um, and actually, uh, the strength in his, uh, his other three fingers has, has far exceeded the index finger. They were able to, I don't know, I didn't mention this, but they were able to sew it back on. So, uh, But he, he doesn't have uh, full mobility in it. He doesn't have full function of his index finger. Um, and his other three fingers, actually his entire hand, the structure of it, has shaped in a different way so that his wedding ring doesn't even fit anymore. So it's just, I think it's just interesting that um, it's not until we lose function of some of those smaller parts of our body that um, we don't realize uh, how important that they might be. So that's your illustration for today, Okay. <laughs> All right, um, we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 16. If you um, 
want to follow along, uh, the words are on the screen behind me or if there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you. So, let's read God's word together. It says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Um, So, Starting right off the bat and uh, in, in verse 1, we see that word, therefore. And when I was at uh, Bible school, a lot of my teachers would tell me, when you see therefore in the text, you have, to, you have to find out what the therefore is there for. Right? You guys heard that before? I saw you. Yeah. You, you heard that before. All right. Um, so why is the therefore there? Or for what reason is the therefore therefore? Um, and in this case, in this particular case, the therefore is therefore um, Ephesians 1 through 3. Basically, everything that Paul has written up to this point in the book of Ephesians, he's referencing with that therefore. So he's saying, in light of everything that I just said in the first three chapters of Ephesians, this is what's next. That's what the therefore is indicating. And what he does deal with in the first three chapters of Ephesians is the position or identity of believers in the church, uh, specifically Gentile believers who made up most of the church in Ephesus, and also Paul's ministry to the Gentile believers. Paul's going to recount to them all the blessings that they have in Christ in the first three chapters. And I have a slide. Uh, the next slide, yes, that one. That is that is all. That is a list of basically all the blessings that Paul says that we now have in Christ as believers. And uh, if we read down here, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Uh, That's Ephesians 1, uh, verse 3. And that basically encompasses everything. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours, is available to us in Christ because of who Christ is. 
But he's going to go on from that list. We're chosen before the foundation of the earth in 1.4. We are holy and blameless before him. Believers are adopted as son and daughters in verse 5. We have grace bestowed on us freely in Christ. We have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins in verse 7. He has made known to us the mystery of his will in verse 9. He has given us hope and an inheritance. He has sealed or secured us with the Holy Spirit in verse 13. God has pledged his faithfulness to us. That's what that sealing or that securing of the Holy Spirit is. It's, it's God's pledge to us that he's not going to forget about us. He's always going to be faithful to us. That's what the Holy Spirit is, one of the functions of the Holy Spirit. He has made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. That's the popular verse in chapter 2, verse 5. And we have boldness and confident access through faith in him in chapter 3. So all those things that Paul lists in, in, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, all those things that are, that are now ours, okay, what are we going to do with that afterwards? 1 through 3 is going to deal with the doctrinal material of Ephesians, and 4 through 6, he's going to start to talk about the ethical material. So he's also going to unfold the eternal plan of God with the end goal being the summing up of all things in Christ. I'm going to read uh, verse 10. Ephesians 1.10 says, With a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. So he unfolds even the eternal plan of God for you, for me, for the church, and, and where we're going. What is the end view of all that? And it's the summing up of all things in Christ. So from there, we reach therefore in verse 1 of chapter 4. So what Paul's saying is because of all those things that you have now available to you in Christ as believers, what do you do now? What's the next step? Where do we go, at, where do we go from there? And that's going to bring us to our first point. And what we're talking about today, the title of our message is the believer's role in the church. Because I think that's really... Uh, a vital message uh, today because I think a lot of times we we lose sight of what we're actually doing or maybe that we're, we're just coming on Sundays and, and worshiping and having a good time and then leaving. But chapter 4 paints a different picture about what our, what our role is in the church, what our role is, uh, what God says our role is, and, and what our role is to, to uh, each and every brother and sister sitting among us today. So that's our first point, that uh, the believer's role in the church, the believer is to preserve unity. The believer is to preserve unity in verses 1 through 6. So verse 1, I'm going to read it for you. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So verse 1 is going to serve as the topic sentence for the rest of the book here. From here, it's basically Paul saying, I urge you, I implore you to walk in this way, in a manner worthy of the calling. Uh, with which you have received. So this arises out of the context, like we said in in, um, chapters 1 through 3, where Paul deals with God's saving work in Christ. So now that you you know those things, now that you are secured and uh, you, you know your identity in Christ, walk this way. Walk in a manner worthy of this calling. And this calling, that's exactly what it is, um, what we dealt with in those first three chapters. Now, I think it's really interesting as well 
that um, Paul deals with the format of Ephesians is, is, is such a way that Paul deals with our calling first and then our walking second. And that's really, I think that's really important. Because if it were the other way around, if Paul dealt with how we walk first, how we're to walk out this Christian life, and then our position or um, our calling second, uh, that would almost imply that we have to walk in a manner in order to be worthy of our calling. But that's not the case. That's not the case. God calls us, then commands us. Okay? He has given us that identity. He has initiated salvation, and he has started that process. And because of that, because of his love toward us, that actually motivates us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Okay? So it's, 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 that, it's that question of religion versus relationship. Okay? We have a relationship with Christ that motivates us to walk in a manner worthy of everything that he has given us, not the other way around. I think that's really important. Um, one of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible, Romans 5, 8, um, says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Still being sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't initiate. We didn't start the... We didn't start this process. God initiated everything, and we react to that. So, um, with that in mind, Paul is going to start to deal with the how-to of this preserving unity. How do we do that um, uh, in verses 1 through 3? that's Our next point is uh, the believer is to preserve unity in the way that they behave. In the way that they behave. So, I'm going to read verse 2 now. Um, he says, Paul writes, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. These two characteristics, humility and gentleness, um, I think they are really uh, great characteristics of a mature believer in Christ. However, those aren't usually characteristics that the world would value very highly, right? But especially for men, I think. I would say, especially for men, um, humility and gentleness, th- those are not characteristics that um, you usually see awards given for. But uh, God values them very highly. Um, Philippians 2, 3 says, this is going to be up on the screen, do nothing, yes, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. So that's that... Um, That's uh, Paul writing in the book of Philippians chapter 2. He goes on to say in verse 2, showing tolerance for one another in love. Or if you're reading from the ESV version, he says, bearing with one another. And I think that's uh, kind of an interesting way for Paul to call for unity in in the church because uh, he's almost saying, uh, he is saying, bearing with one another. Um, Like he's saying that he already knows that this is not going to be easy. Right? Do you guys have, uh, have you ever had any trouble uh, putting up with another brother or sister sitting among you? Um, Paul says that he knows it's not going to be easy. He says, bear with one another. This, this word means to, uh, to put up with or to endure or to suffer. Suffer uh, amongst your brothers and sisters. Have you ever heard the saying, don't suffer fools gladly? Um, Paul says, uh, suffer them gladly. Um, 
especially if they're in the church. Not only if they're in the church, but especially if they're in the church. He goes on to say, verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this is actually a preserving of a unity that we already have. It's not a creating of a unity. That's an interesting uh, way to say it. He he doesn't say create this unity or, or be unified or make unity. He says preserve it because this unity is already existent among us. Um, Christ created this unity when he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, as Paul says in um, chapter 3. When Christ died for our sins, he broke down those barriers and he created this unity. This is a unity that is maintained by the Holy Spirit of God that already exists among us. Our job is actually to preserve it or to keep it fresh um, or don't let evil ruin it. Um, fight to preserve it. Fight for unity. That's our job. And when our first instinct is to hate, uh, fight against that. Um, especially, especially in this room, especially amongst these people. Um, it's interesting that Paul deals with unity first, uh, right after he gets done uh, telling us about our our identity in Christ. He deals with how we relate to one another. The very first thing. These relationships that we have in this church, um, as members of this church, um, even as uh, members of the universal church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, those are the relationships that are going to exist for the rest of eternity. Those are the relationships that actually are the most important. So fight to preserve that unity. Preserve it. We don't create it. And don't let, uh, don't let evil break the bond of unity that we already share. Consider our Lord, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Love this verse. Who, although he existed in the form of God, we're talking about Jesus here, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or wielded or a thing to be used for his own benefit. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If the God of the universe uh, chose lowliness and meekness as some of his chief characteristics, then we should follow suit. He is he's the one who actually has the right uh, to not act in that way, right? He is the one who actually has the right to, to use that equality with God for his benefit, but he didn't. That's not the characteristics that he chose to, to wield. He chose lowliness. He chose meekness and humility, and we should follow suit because of that. So... Let's put on these qualities. Let's practice uh, humility. Let's practice gentleness and patience for one another. And let's preserve unity in the way that we behave, especially amongst brothers and sisters. So Paul's now going to show us all the things that we have in common before he starts to detail the ways that uh, we are unique. Therefore, our next point is going to be the Christian in the church is to preserve unity in the way that they believe. Okay, we just dealt with the way that they behave, but now the way that they believe. So look at all the things that we share here in verses 4 through 6 that Paul deals with. Um, one body. We share in one body. That being the, the, the church, being that body, and Christ as the head of the church. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says, And he, the Father, Put all things in subjection under his feet, which is Jesus, his feet, 
and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We share in one body. That's the church. Um, the church is not necessarily a building, but it's a body. It's a body. It's a makeup of believers that gather together. Christ is given as a gift for us, for us to be in subjection to. Can you think of any other uh, leader or ruler uh, in modern times or even in historical times, that you would rather be in subjection to? Because I cannot. Um, There's no one else that I would rather be in total subjection to than Christ. He is the ultimate leader, the one who knows uh, the exact needs of every individual here and and, and the needs of, of the body of Christ as well. We also share in one spirit in verse 4, that being the Holy Spirit of God. In one hope, the hope of resurrection and eternal life. Um, this one's a really cool one. I want you to hear carefully the words of First Peter 3.15. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We as believers all share in one hope of eternal life, the hope of resurrection, the hope of an inheritance waiting for us. That's, a, that's an amazing thing that we have waiting for us. He says it's imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Really cool. Um, Continuing on, verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It's often said that uh, one of the keys to correct biblical interpretation is to notice repetition. So here we have seven uses of the same word, one, in three verses. So that means that Paul is trying to convey something here. He's trying to get something across. And that something is everything that we share in common as believers in Christ. All these things. One body, one spirit, uh, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And one way to preserve unity in the church is by knowing, understanding, and believing that faith that we all share in. Um, These things that Paul's listed here. Knowing, understanding, and believing. The question is, do we, do we know our faith? Uh, do we understand it? Um, we say that we believe it, but do we know what it is that we are actually saying that we believe? Um, the way to know that is by reading your Bibles, by being in your Bible, by, by spending time in, in the Word of God. Um, this is how we can know for sure what it is that we say that we believe. That is one of the components of fighting to preserve the unity in the church is by knowing and understanding this faith that we all share in. So how many of us here have a daily quiet time? Um, because that's part of our responsibility in preserving unity. Uh, spending time with Jesus. Building closer relationally. Understanding what that faith is. So I would challenge you today. If you don't have that, if, if, if you don't have a um, a daily quiet time or, or a time that you spend separate uh, between you and the Lord to to start one or to even start a reading plan. Um, 
start, start, uh, start a reading plan with someone here. Uh, maybe someone that you don't know as well that, that you'd like to know a little bit more. That's a good way for you to preserve that unity in the church. Um, start understanding and knowing your faith better. Um, maybe with somebody else. So moving on to the, the next point, uh, the believer is to embrace diversity. So I think this is a really cool uh, dual meaning going on here because um, Paul, he moves from preserving unity and talking about how we have all this stuff in common and how, all this stuff that we share together. And then right in verse 7, he's going to talk, he's going to switch to start talking about how we're different. Um, so, yes, we are, we are to be one and, and strive to preserve unity in the church and how we behave and believe. We just detailed exactly you know, what that means and what that looks like in Ephesians 4. But at the same time, we also need to understand the unique design of the church. And uh, starting at verse 7, Paul's going to start focusing more on the individuals of the church and the grace of God that has been given to each one. So to our next sub-point, how do we embrace uh, diversity? But by understanding the grace of God in Christ. In verses 7 through 10. I'm going to read uh, verse 7 here. Paul writes, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ, this is a really tremendous verse because this says that um, Christ has gifted each individual believer in a unique uh, and specific way. And this is not the only place in the New Testament that uh, that this is taught. Paul also teaches this in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, and Romans 12, talking about um, individual believers being gifted in a a unique and special way. Um, And if you're a Bible highlighter, if you like to highlight in your Bible, this is uh, one that I would choose, uh, verse 7 here, because this shows just how much Christ cares for you, that he would give you, uh, that he would gift you in order to care for his church, his bride. And the role and and the responsibility that you have in that is really tremendous. Christ cares a lot for us. Moving on to verse 8. Paul's going to quote here from Psalm 68, verse 18. When he says, therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Um, So this psalm is a psalm of praise uh, to God. If we read this in in, uh, the Old Testament, it's a psalm of praise to God for his deliverance of Israel against her enemies. And so um, in this psalm, you can picture God. uh, What's going on is that you can picture God ascending Mount Zion after a victorious campaign against Israel's enemies. And God led the way, and uh, they were victorious, and the Israelites won. And God's going to be ascending Mount Zion. And as he goes by, he's got the the children of Israel on his right and his left, and as he parades by, he's going to divide the spoils of the victory with his people. So the ascension of Mount Zion. Does that remind you of anything? Because Paul makes a direct comparison with that psalm here, with Christ's ascension after his resurrection. It's the same idea here, that Christ, first he descended. Paul talks about this descension meaning his incarnation, he descended, he came down to us, he fought, uh, he won the battle at Calvary, he won the battle at the cross, he, he rose again, and then he ascends in victory and power, and as he ascends, he spreads his gifts among his people. 
And uh, the same the same picture that you have in Psalm 68 is Christ's ascension. I think it's really cool. Um, embracing diversity means remembering we are gifted uniquely by God. Uh, all the brothers and sisters um, uh, seated here today, if, 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 if you are a believer in Christ, then you have been gifted uniquely by God. And um, some of our gifts, they might look or sound uh, different than than others, and that's okay. That's really okay because each gift has been given with a specific purpose in mind, and God is capable of creating and um, and gifting us in special and distinctive ways. He, he's over all of that, and as we see here, part of our role in the church is actually embracing that diversity that exists among us. Yes, people are different; they're gifted in different ways, and that's okay. That that's what makes up a healthy church body. We also embrace diversity by serving the body with our unique gifts. I'm going to read from, uh, I'm going to read again from 11 and 12 here in chapter 4. It says, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, this is not a comprehensive list on all the gifts that are given uh, by God to individual believers, and that's not Paul's purpose here. His purpose is not to focus on the variety of certain gifts, but his purpose is to focus on what is the function of those gifts, or what, what is the purpose of those gifts? What, why are we given those gifts? And for what reason are they given? Um, now, notice especially verse 12. It says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So I want to make this clear that, yes, our gifts are given um, to enable us to be ministers to a broken world. Okay, we are to use our gifts to serve our, in our communities. Um, and uh, there are a lot of opportunities to do that here. I actually think, I didn't hear, but I think some of, some of us went down to feed the homeless in Harrisburg yesterday, and that that's just another opportunity that we have to use our gifts to come together to serve our community, and that's a, it's a wonderful thing, and that's certainly an aspect of why those gifts were given, um, to serve the broken, the needy, and the helpless of this world. But it's not the only aspect. It's not the only reason. The work of service and, and the ministry is not the end result but the end result is actually the building up of the body of Christ. We see that here in verse 12. Uh, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. God gifted us uniquely to be able to serve, to build the body of Christ, to grow it. So use your gifts with that goal in mind. Um, some, some of you might say, I don't know what my gift is. And I think that's that's okay. I had a, I had a professor... Um, in Bible school that used to say, if you don't know what your gifts are, um, just get out there and serve until you find out because God will make that clear to you. So like we said, there's a lot of opportunities here to serve at East Shore. Um, and uh, the more you do that, the more you see what you're, what you're capable of and, and what God has gifted you uh, to do. And um, he'll make that clear to you for sure. So try different things. Um, so this is not only a, a way to serve with your gifts, but it's, it's also a way to serve together with the body, with one another. Um, that's how we're going to continue to see 
to see growth in our church. That's how Paul says that we embrace diversity. And to our next point, um, what is the believer's role in the church? To seek maturity. Seek maturity. We're going to look now at verse 13. And we're, we're going to start to get a long-term view of this whole thing. Um, verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Here's what our long-term goal should be as believers in the church. One, unity of the faith. Two, the knowledge of the Son of God. In short, maturity. How does a believer seek maturity in the church? First, by pursuing individual maturity. That's our next sub-point. Reading verse 14, now, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, uh, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So Paul's talking about a process of growth here by talking about moving away from childhood. And one certain uh, characteristic of a mature believer in the church Uh, sorry, of an immature believer, one certain characteristic of an immature believer in the church is a wavering faith. Um, That's what he's talking about. Notice how they're tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. They're not firm in their faith. Um, We talked about that earlier. They don't don't really know what it is that they say that they believe. They're not firm in, in their Bible. That's a characteristic of an immature believer. But on the other hand, characteristic of a mature believer is their devotion to the truth. Look at verse 15 here. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So their devotion to honesty, that's a characteristic of a mature believer. Um, Not only that, but our devotion to honesty will produce spiritual growth. Um, Spiritual growth amongst ourselves and ultimately spiritual growth in the church. So you can see that God is concerned about our individual maturity. And uh, he wants you to take hold of that that growth process, um, to be involved in it, and to be uh, guided by honesty and integrity to pursue verse 13, that attaining of the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And um, when does that pursuit end? When do we stop pursuing that individual maturity? I think it's... uh, Interesting, again, we're going to, I'm going to put up um, chapter 3, verse 19 here. Paul writes, uh, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Well, um, sorry, Paul, but that doesn't make any sense whatsoever, because how can we possibly know something that surpasses knowledge? Um, How do we fully know the love of Christ? It's can never be, right? Can't know it. It's, it surpasses knowledge. I would submit that, that that means that we never fully attain uh, to the knowledge of the Son of God, at least not here, at least not in these bodies. But it's a process of growth, a uh, process of maturity that, that, uh, that we continue walking in with our loving Father who, who knows us fully and who wants us to know Him more clearly. Um, and I think that's a really really beautiful picture. Um, 
not sur- they're, they're surpassing knowledge, just continue to, to grow in that, to take hold of that growth process. Okay. And moving on to our last point here, um, we're not to seek maturity solely for our own benefit, but we seek maturity by striving also for the maturity of the church. And I'm going to read uh, verse 16 here. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So verse 16, we have that great metaphor of the the church as the body of Christ. And um, just want you to see how vital our individual maturity is to the growth of the of the body as a whole. As one member goes, so goes the whole body. Um, each and every little joint uh, works together for the health of the overall body. So that meaning, even if you're just a little index finger, or if you're nothing but a pinky toe, um, you have a <laughs> you have a big role in the health of the in the health of the body. Um, no matter what that role looks like. Um, God's counting on you, and and we're counting on you. I'm counting on you. We're all counting on Pastor. We're we're counting on each and every one of us in here today um, to fill that function, um, to to be a joint that works that works its part, that fills its role, and that uh, contributes to the health of the body. So whatever your role is, um, just know that that you have a part to play. You have a part to play here. Um, so remember, we're gonna we're, we're talking about preserving unity in the way that we behave, in the way that we believe. We embrace diversity by understanding God's gift for you and by serving the body with your gifts. And we seek maturity by growing individually and striving for the growth of the whole church. So if you're out there firming up your faith in the word and the word and knowing God more and more each day, uh, growing closer relationally to Jesus, you're going to be a catalyst of growth for the entire church. That is how you contribute. On the other hand, that works conversely. And um, I would just challenge you not to be on the opposite side of God's will, because God's will for the church is that it will be the summing up uh, into all things into Christ. Um, God's will for the church is growth. So one way or another, it's going to happen. And um, as a member, uh, don't be on the opposite side of that. Um, Don't be on the opposite side of God's will. And I just wanted to put in, I just wanted to add, um, if you're out there listening to this message, whether it's on the live stream or here today, and um, this doesn't really make sense to you that you're saying, I'm not a believer. This doesn't, this doesn't really pertain to me. Um, I would just submit to you that, um, well, I hope you were listening. Um, those blessings that we detailed in the first three chapters, that list that we put up, all those promises that God has, has done through Christ for us, for believers in the church, um, those are available to you as well. Um, they're not out of reach. God's never out of reach. Uh, for you, and if you would confess your sin and, and brokenness to God and reach out in faith, there's more than enough grace. God has more than enough grace to go around 
for each and every person listening to this message today, wherever you find yourself in life, whether you're a believer in, in the church, a believer in this church, you're, you're not a part of this church, you're not even a believer, there's more than enough grace uh, to go around. Um, God has an abundant amount of forgiveness, grace, and love for everyone listening to this right now. And you can have a relationship with God. You can have a relationship with your Savior, Jesus Christ, and you can begin to participate in the will of God for His church right here at East Shore. So reach out in faith, if that's you, if I'm speaking to you today. Um, you can talk to somebody after the service. Uh, you can talk to me or, or approach one of, the, uh, one of the other members that you see here today. and um, Anyone would be happy to, to, to begin a conversation with you about salvation and, and um, how you can be saved. How you can start that relationship with Christ. It's truly worth walking.